As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts 4, as we continue our sermon series, Empowered to Tell, through this incredible book of Acts, New Testament history book. I should begin, let me ask you a question. Uh, are you one of those people who like commercials or don't like commercials? I don't know about you. Um, I know when I was watching with my father-in-law, who's now with Jesus, uh, he was not a commercial liker. As a matter of fact, he couldn't grab the remote fast enough. And every commercial that ever came on when we were watching sports, whatever, was muted. Amen. <laughs> I happen to be one of those guys that like commercials. You know, I really kind of do. I find them interesting, fascinating. So, you know, like all of them. I mean, let me tell you. If this gig doesn't work out, and I, I hope it does, I think people say, well, what else would you want to do? And for me, I think advertising. Uh, I'm intrigued with uh, uh, advertisers who try to woo you in, to try to have you buy their product. I mean, maybe that's what I do anyway, right? I mean, just for a little bit of a higher calling. But one of my, uh, one of my favorite commercials is Holiday Inn Express. I mean, Holiday Express, you've probably seen it. If you've uh, seen that commercial, you're probably already picturing where I'm going and maybe your favorite. But what happens in a Hollywood in, uh, in Express commercial, uh, there's an event that takes place that someone has to show up with extraordinary gifts, extraordinary boldness, and kind of save the day. Uh, maybe it's uh, a medical situation where all of a sudden on the scene where everybody else has a little bit of bedlam, there's one who shows up and he or she, I mean, just calm, cool, and collective. And as they go about their work, someone asks, are you a doctor or something? And they say, no, but I stayed at a Hollywood, uh, no, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Well, for someone who uh, uh, needs to act boldly in certain situations, I really suggest it's more than Holiday Inn. And in our text here today, we're going to see that Peter and John are put in really one of the most scary situations you could ever be in. I mean, Scripture's going to tell us these, these guys were called common. Uh, these guys were called uneducated. And the text that we're going to look at today, they're sitting among, actually they're standing among the bigwigs. I mean, they're in the temple and they're before what's called the Sanhedrin, which is like 71 of the smartest religious people in the world. And there they are. And there are these two that, that, that smell like fish. And, and they don't have all the letters after their name. And they're standing before the ones who do. And have all the diplomas hanging on the wall. And they have none of it. And they are there because God used them to bring healing to a man who for 40 years was crippled. A man who also was at the temple. He was there all the time. He was carried by friends. He was carried by family and friends and he was placed there. And uh, as he was there, he, he really, that's how he earned his living. He begged. And one day, uh, Peter and John, they were walking in the temple. We've gone through this as we've gone through Acts. And as they were going into the temple, they were going through this gate called Beautiful. And this is where this particular fellow always was. And they, they locked eyes. And as they locked eyes, this gentleman thought, hey, I'm going to get a little bit of, uh, of silver or gold because that's how he made his living. He couldn't work. And Peter looked at him and he said, you know what? I don't have any silver or gold. But what I do have, what I do have, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give to you freely. But I'm going to give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
the name of Jesus who, who God raised from the dead. And, and Peter reached down and he grabbed the hand of a man who, who's never stood before and he lifted him up in the name of Jesus. And immediately, it's incredible, immediately this man stood. I mean, this is a man who's never stood before. Picture that. And he walked and he leaped and he jumped. An incredible healing of Jesus. Well, can you imagine that caused quite a stir? I mean, all of a sudden, people recognize this guy. They've just never seen him upright. And now he is going, running through the temple, praising God, wouldn't you? I mean, can you imagine? He's running through the temple, praising God, and it's caused quite a commotion. I mean, such a commotion that they all kind of run to Peter and John, and now outside the temple at a, at a porch called Solomon's Porch, there is Peter, and he starts to preach because they want to know, how did you do this? Did you say it at Holiday Inn Express? How did you do this? I mean, what power, what name, what authority? And Peter, although not educated, although common, he starts preaching. And he preaches. I'm telling you, whoa. He preaches a sermon those 71 would love to have preached. I mean, he's pulling out scripture and he's using the Old Testament and he's pointing and he's, he's proving that Jesus, that they crucified, that this is God's son. He's proving that this is the Messiah. He's proving that, that Christ had to come and suffer. And he's proving that, that God raised him from the dead. And everybody's astonished. Everybody's like, oh, this is a complete game changer. Well, some people didn't like it. And you know who didn't like it? The ones who should have liked it the most. <laughs> The ones who should have been the leaders of the band in praising God. I mean, the, the, the ones who were supposed to shepherd the sheep, those Sanhedrin, those leaders, they didn't like it. Why do you think they didn't like it? I mean, really, they're about to lose power. They're going to lose face here. I mean, they weren't about what God was doing. They were doing about what they were doing. And so there they were. and They laid hands on Peter and John. They put them in prison. They eventually get this kangaroo court set up, and they set them before them. They say, we want to know, how in the world are you doing this? And they point to Jesus. And you know, there they sat. All, all, they should have been intimidated, and they weren't. And they boldly proclaimed, saying it wasn't anything to do with the Holiday Inn Express. What it had to do is that this Jesus of Nazareth that you crucified. Now, don't forget, he's saying it, they're saying it to the ones who crucified Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you crucified. By the way, he's alive and well. And he's alive and well. Oh, thank God, he's gracious. But it's in his name We've done these healings. And then something happens. They recognize, oh, yeah, these fellas have been with Jesus. These fellas, they, 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 they've hung out with that carpenter. They hung out with that Jesus of Nazareth. The one that we killed, they recognized, oh, yeah, they've been with him. We look at this text. We're going to look at three things specifically. We're going to see this astonishing boldness for those who have been with Jesus. If you've been with him and you have clarity of who he is and what he's done, man, boldness. And you'll see what they have. The second thing we're going to look at is this, deafening silence for those who could not deny the power of Jesus. Deafening silence from the Sanhedrin. I mean, this is a, this is a bunch that you should be getting your primary teaching from, but they're silent, and we're going to see why. And then uh, thirdly, impotent threats trying to stop the spread of the gospel. Those who try to say, no longer talk in the name of Jesus. All right, let's pick up the story. It's uh, Acts chapter four. Let's be reminded this is God's holy, inerrant word. The trial is taking place. Um, 
And Peter has preached this amazing sermon uh, that has pointed to Christ. uh, And the Sanhedrin is gathered. um, And we'll pick up the story where we left it off last week in verse 13. 13 through 22. Hear God's word. And now when they, the Sanhedrin, those 71, those leaders, when they saw the boldness or the courage of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them. It's it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let us pray. Father God, it was your Holy Spirit that gave astonishing boldness to the common and to the uneducated. Boldness to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. Father, I ask for your glory and for the health of this church that you would be pleased to send that same Holy Spirit to come And give each one of us clarity, clarity to who Jesus is. So that each of us, the preacher and the hearer, can boldly proclaim the truth. That Jesus is your son. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is Lord and and life is only found in him. Oh Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear. Hear your voice. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and illumine our minds so that we can understand your word so that this story won't just be a story that happened then, but a story that is for us now. Give us minds to understand. And God, give us us hearts to embrace and to believe. Would you break our hearts of, of disbelief or sin? Would you cause them to beat for you? Oh, God, would you come with such power that you would enable our feet to walk in a manner, a bold manner, worthy of the gospel, that you give us courage to live for Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd be so powerfully with us that there would not be one soul here that would leave here not knowing and loving the reality of the name of Jesus and what he has done for us. If anything that's said is my opinion or wrong, may that be, fall away and be forgotten quickly. All that is said that is true and contains the good news of the gospel. Use those things to make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. First thing we're going to see is this astonishing boldness for those who had been with Jesus. 
The scripture tells us that they were uneducated or not lettered and common men. If you, if you look at the Greek here, it's kind of interesting. When it says they're uneducated, it doesn't mean that these guys were illiterate. I mean, sometimes uh, the apostles, uh, they get thrown under the bus a little bit. They say, these are fishermen, they were uneducated, they weren't very smart. Well, that's not true. I mean, these were business owners. These fishermen owned boats, they owned businesses. And, And when it says that they were uneducated, it doesn't mean that they were illiterate. Here's what it means. They didn't have letters. They didn't have letters after their names. They didn't have degrees. They didn't have formal training. And so when it was perceived that they were uneducated, it was really to show us the difference between those in the Sanhedrin that were there that were all educated, that could all point to where at school did you go to and and what degree did you get. That's them. And in contrast, you have those without letters. Also says they they were common. Interesting, uh, it's the Greek word where we get the word idiot from. Um, and so therefore, let me just tell you, according to the Greek, if you ever question a pastor, we're to say you're a layman, you're an idiot. No, 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 that's not true. You're not. Uh, the reality is, is that doesn't mean that they're an idiot the way we see it. It really means that they're a layman. I mean, so what's before them uh, is those without letters and those who are laymen. Uh, these, are, these are men who were fishermen. They weren't supposed to be biblical scholars. And what were coming out of the, these men's mouth? Listen, they were preaching sermons that weren't just like, oh man, Jesus saved me and he is awesome. He is fantastic. You need to accept him too. No, the sermons that they were preaching, the things that they were saying, they were opening up scripture. And they were opening up scripture in a way that they were, they were showing how this Old Testament text and how this Old Testament prophet and how all things pointed to Christ. I mean, these uneducated common men, they were acting like scholars. And they were teaching those before them who were supposed to be the teachers. They were saying, these fellas smell like fish. They have no degrees. And they're common laymen. And yet, they know so much. They have such clarity of who Jesus is. They're so bold. We see this difference between book smarts and street smarts, don't we? Maybe the difference between book smarts and Jesus smarts is a better way to say it. I mean, here are the people who who studied uh, the law, who had studied scripture. Most of them probably had memorized huge chunks of the Bible and yet were spiritually dead and yet didn't have the street smarts or the Jesus smarts. And what is the difference? The difference with these uneducated common men is Jesus. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They saw the reality. Listen, this is so important. They saw the reality of God's word and God's truth, that it was all pointing to God's son. That the hope that we have, the life that we could live, really all is fulfilled in Jesus. They got it. The Sanhedrin did not. Not only did they have this, this incredible boldness, uh, and by the way, the word boldness here or courage is really, it has to do with speech. It really has to do, not only were they bold in their life, but this is more of an emphasis of they were up, standing up, just proclaiming without fear, proclaiming the name of Jesus with, with such boldness and courage. Don't forget the ones who killed them. That's the boldness that they have. And then they start to recognize that they had been with Jesus. Oh, yeah. Not only do they recognize they've been with Jesus, but here in the temple, they probably recognize that they were like Jesus. 
Let me show you how. In the Gospel of John, in John chapter 7, Jesus emerges in the temple. And as Jesus is in the temple, he begins to preach and teach in the temple. John records for us. And here's what happens. Those who were listening to Jesus, according to John 7, they too were marveling and astonished, saying, isn't this fellow a carpenter? Isn't this fellow, isn't this, isn't this, uh, don't we know Mary and, and Joseph? I mean, this guy's not educated. The same exact phrasing that it's used to describe Peter and John, guess what, was used to describe Jesus himself by the same exact people in the same exact place. Not only they recognize this guy's been, these guys have been with Jesus, they're like, these guys are like Jesus. But what we have to see is this. How do you have that boldness? How do they have the boldness that they had to stand up the way they did? It comes from having clarity of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let me say it again. The only way you will ever live your life with boldness before God and anyone else and boldness for Jesus is have clarity. Clarity of who Jesus is and what he had done. You see, Peter had that clarity. I mean, Peter was, was a part of that story. He spent the three years with him. I mean, Peter had the clarity that this was the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had the clarity that, that Jesus became his sin on the cross. Peter had the clarity of what the kingdom of God was all about because as the book of Acts has told us, this resurrected Jesus appeared to Peter and the disciples for 40 days, teaching them about uh, the kingdom of God. Peter had amazing clarity. That that man on the tree, that man on the cross, was God's own son. That 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 man, that Jesus of Nazareth, he is the savior of the world. Peter had clarity of what he did. And now through the resurrection, he knew, you ready for this? He knew he was forgiven. Peter had clarity knowing that Jesus defeated death. What in the world could these guys do to him? I mean, he had the clarity to know that he had on his side the one, the king, who conquered death and sin itself. And he had boldness. Peter had clarity of what God, what Jesus was doing. Uh, In chapter 3, verse 21, it says that heaven must hold him. He lives to intercede for us. He knew that what Jesus will do in Acts chapter 1, Peter is told and all the apostles, Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back and he's bringing a new heaven and a new earth with him. And he's going to drive away all the sins and there'll be a day coming. No more tears. There was incredible clarity in Peter's mind to who Jesus was and what Jesus had done that allowed him to be so bold. I'll tell you one more thing I think he had clarity of. Peter knew the clarity of who he was in the picture. He's like that broken beggar. He had no hope to heal himself apart by the grace of God. I'm asking my job to write a lot of recommendations, especially for students. It's a joy of mine, especially this time of year, now that colleges are are taking applications. And I love being able to, to write about a student and hopefully help them in their career. But I tell you, I am able to write with great boldness and great clarity for the children I know. And then I really know, I know them, I know their family. I could be clear, I could be bold. But if I don't know who they are, I'm just kind of general. Not very specific. And I think the reality of what these guys are, they had incredible clarity of who Jesus is and what he has done. 
And they were able to be bold. And you see, Peter and John not only knew about Jesus. Here's, here's the reality. You can have head knowledge. But G- Peter and John were transformed because of Jesus. I mean, they're completely transformed with the good news. They, they become new creations. And not only that, but they've not only been transformed, but they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But listen, you've got to hear the whole story, right? You've got to get the backdrop to really understand this. Peter, in his life, at another time, according to the Gospel of Luke, and that's really kind of important because the guy who wrote the book of Acts is Luke, and the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke is Luke. And Peter told us of another time, it's in Luke chapter 22, I'm sorry, uh, Luke told us of another time of Peter being recognized as being with Jesus. Do you know the story? Do you know the other time where, where Peter was recognized with being with Jesus? It was right before his death. It was right before his death. It was, it was, it was really close to the temple. It was actually at Caiaphas' house. And he's there, by the way. He's one of the 71. And it was one of the people who recognized Peter was a little girl, a little servant girl. He said, hey, you're, you're, you, you've been with Jesus. I recognize you as one who had been with Jesus. Some other people said, you know what? Your, your, your accent gives you away. You're a Galilean. You've been with him. Three times it says that, that Peter has been said, recognized with being with Jesus. And guess what Peter does then? He says, I swear to God, I don't even know him. Isn't it amazing what the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrected power? I mean, here's, here's Peter. Now, don't forget it. Peter at one time to a little girl denies <laughs> Now filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, now knowing the resurrected truth of Jesus, standing before the most, the religious leaders, the most powerful men in his time, right there in the temple, stands up and says, no, this is Christ. Let me tell you clearly who he is and what he has done. He went from a vehement denier to a bold proclaimer, all empowered through the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Incredible boldness. Second thing we see is deafening silence for those who could not deny the power of Jesus. Deafening silence. Scripture says that there's this incredible contrast. It's, a, it's pretty neat to see the contrast between Peter and John who are boldly proclaiming it. And it says this, that there's silence from the council. It says they had nothing to say in opposition. Their tongues were tied. They couldn't deny it. The text says that a notable sign... One that couldn't be not denied was evident to all. I get the picture. Why are they silent? Exhibit A is standing with them. Peter and John have Exhibit A, and guess who Exhibit A is? The man who's been crippled for 40 years. They recognized him. There he was. And they said basically this, we can't deny it. There he is. We saw him. We saw how mangled his legs were. We saw how bad his ankles were. We, we gave him money. We can't deny what has happened. But here's, here's some beautiful things that we really have to see in this text. Two things. One is this. They don't refute the power of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? They ask what authority and what name. And Peter was very clear. The authority of God in the name of Jesus. That's, that's our authority. Jesus is our authority. He's the one. It's in his name and his power for his glory. All things are done. And guess what? They didn't deny the power. How could they? There it was. But here's something I think even more important. They didn't refute the resurrection. Listen, they didn't refute the resurrection. In chapter 4, in the beginning of this chapter, those who was said were greatly annoyed, those who had Peter and John arrested were called the Sadducees. That's the one group of people that was set apart, although the chief of the temple also 
the ones who said, we got to arrest these guys. Why is it important for us to understand the Sadducees? You see, the Sadducees were those who didn't believe in the resurrection. They're the ones, they were the, uh, the religious liberals who didn't believe in any miracles. And so why were they the ones who were most annoyed at Peter and John? Because Peter and John couldn't shut up about the fact that Jesus was alive. And Peter and John couldn't stop talking about a resurrection. And so what do you think the Sadducees would love to stop talking about? Is, for, is that resurrection? But it doesn't, there's no argument. They did not refute the resurrection. They couldn't. Let me tell you, the reality is this. If they could have produced a body, if they could have refuted the resurrection, Christianity stops. If the resurrection isn't real, our story falls apart. Let me be, let me tell you, it's the truth. I have a good friend who I I really like a lot who will say, I'm a Christian because I follow Christ's teachings. Of all the teachings in the world, I believe Jesus is the best, so I'm gonna follow Jesus. I don't need to believe in the resurrection. I don't need to believe in the miracles. I'm a Christian because I want to follow a guy named Jesus. I want to say, that's not a Christian. You see, you can't take away the, the resurrection and you take away the fact that, that we're still in our, dead in our trespasses and sins. There's still no hope. I love how beautiful scripture is to us. It tells us the truth. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says this. He says, if there's no resurrection of all people in the world, we're the most to be pitied. He basically says this. If Jesus is still in the tomb, we're the idiots. Because we're proclaiming he is. I love the reality. He says this. He says, if it's not true, if there's no resurrection, you know what scripture tells us to do? We might as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It basically says this. If there's no hope for tomorrow, if Jesus is still in that tomb, then let's, listen, let's just make the most of what we got. Let's party. Let's just try to ease the pain until we die. But if there is a resurrection, if the reality is that God has conquered death, we have hope in all things. And you should hear through the deafening silence of the Sadducees and those before, those before Peter and John, they didn't refute The resurrection, they couldn't. And what they said is, let's just try to shut these guys up. Let's kind of keep them from spreading this good news. They treated the gospel like it was a plague. You You know who they feared? You know who the religious people feared? The ones who were in power? This is kind of interesting too. They feared the people. I mean, it says that they, they, they saw the people, they feared the people because they saw them all praising God. They said, oh, we can't, our hands are tied. Look at all these people, they're all excited about the Lord. We can't really do anything to punish them. Let's just threaten them. So they threaten them. The imp- this is thirdly, the impotent threats trying to stop the spread of the gospel. They threaten them with threats. They basically say, will you please stop speaking about the name of Jesus? Will you please stop teaching in the name of Jesus? Will you quit doing these healings in the name of of Jesus. And they had to confer to figure out what to do. But Peter and John immediately say this. Hey, judge for yourselves. Now, this is really, this is, this is poignant. Judges of Israel, judge for yourself. Should we listen to God? Or should we listen to you? Because 
We have been commissioned by God to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only have we been commissioned and set apart to go, we've been empowered by God through the Holy Spirit to tell the good news of Christ Jesus. Not only are we commissioned and empowered to do it, here's the reality, we can't help but talk about the name of Jesus. When you're a sinner like me, and you've been forgiven, (laughs) when you know that through all of your trials and struggles, God still loves you, when you realize what Jesus has done for you to hang on that cross to become your sin, when you realize that tomb is empty and life now reigns, when you realize that he's going to take those who deserve darkness and he brings into marvelous light, when you know he doesn't treat us like children of wrath, but he treats us as beloved children, when you know what Jesus has done for you, when you have clarity of who he is and what he has done, you will not be able to not stop talking about Jesus. And they said, you judge for yourselves. Listen to you or listen to God. He's commissioned us to tell this story. He's empowered us to tell this story. But even if he hasn't, we can't help but tell this story. I love it. It says that all the inhabitants of Jerusalem has heard. It was evident. They said, you know, we can't can't deny it. Everybody knows it. When they were commissioned, they were said, they were told, the apostles were, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And go tell good news. Jerusalem has been reached. Here's the point. Man will never stop the power of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ will reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The God's elect will all come home. The reality is if you are in Christ Jesus, you are on the winning team. And the story that you tell will prevail. Nothing will stop the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me make it maybe more personal for some of you. Whatever trial you're in, whatever you're going through right now, have the hope of knowing that on your side is the God of angel armies. More than that, have the hope that know that with the trials that you go through, you'll never be alone. You'll never be forsaken. Know that in Christ Jesus, you will be given the power to stand like that crippled man was. Stand in hope that come hell or high water, God is for us and with us. And we're going to make it home. And he wins. And that should give us incredible boldness to live our lives. Nothing, my brothers and sisters, will separate us from the love of Christ. And we can stand knowing him. Let me ask you two questions as we close. First one is this. Do you have clarity of who Jesus is and what he has done? Is there clarity in your mind? I believe also there needs to be clarity of where you are in this story. If you see yourself rightly as that cripple, but by the grace of God, do you have clarity in who Jesus is and what he's done? I'll tell you if you know, you'll have boldness. Boldness to live for him. Secondly, would people recognize you as someone who had been with Jesus? Would people recognize you for what you do and how you talk and how you live as someone who's been with Jesus? The good news is, is be you in love with Jesus. It doesn't mean you you have to deny being a sinner. It's you embrace the reality you're broken and you need Jesus. Recognize as someone who's been with Jesus as someone who says, I know I don't deserve his love, but I've gotten it. 
And I know what that cross has meant for me. And I know he's empowered me with the Holy Spirit to stand and live for him. I'm a broken sinner, but by the grace of God, see Jesus in me. Let us pray. (coughs) Father, thank you for the amazing power of the gospel that allows uneducated common fishermen to stand before the powers of the world and boldly proclaim the truth that Jesus is your son, the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life. And God, I pray that you would give us that same boldness of the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be a church, we would be a people that others would recognize (coughs) we've been with Jesus. And by his grace and for his glory, we're more like him. We don't want to smell like fish. We want the aroma of Christ. And be fishers of men. We pray this for your glory. Amen.